Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But what kind of faith is it that overcomes the world? And should we even be asking what kind of faith? Or should we not all understand fully and completely what faith it is that overcomes the world? Well, we wish that all the world did understand the faith that overcomes the world. But we see that it is not the case because there are those who advocate what is commonly known as faith alone. Is that the faith that provides the victory? Is that the faith that overcomes the world? We continue tonight our study of the gospel, uh, the epistle of James called the gospel of common sense by so many and it is extremely practical teaching that leads to perfection, that is wholeness or completeness in Christ. And in James chapter 2 where we are now at verse 14 there is a great treatise, a great treatise here that ultimately will settle forevermore or should the kind of faith that pleases God, the kind of faith that will save man. In the earlier verses we have studied from James, uh, it is shown that the one who loves his neighbor is one who will show mercy to his neighbor and be merciful toward him. Verse 12 of James chapter 2, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And in verses 14 and following, we're taught that if one is indifferent toward the needs of his fellow man, then it shows a lack of true faith. These verses we're going to study tonight, James 2, verses 14 through the remainder of the chapter, verse 26. They are verses that have been the subject of much, much controversy, and yet they should not be controversial in the slightest. Martin Luther, the Reformation leader, called this entire epistle, in his words, a right strawy epistle, a right strawy epistle, strawy, epistle of straw. In other words, not really of any uh, substance from the standpoint of deserving a place in the inspired canon. Why did he call it that? Because of this section right here. And what is said about faith, because there seems to be, and obviously in Luther's mind, there was a contradiction between what James writes here in the passages we are studying tonight and what Paul wrote in his Roman letter at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let's read, read those verses. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh, Paul asked. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Now Martin Luther read that passage and he read uh, James 2 here in this section and he saw a contradiction and thus he characterized James's epistle as a right strawy 
epistle. Should it not be apparent to us that James and Paul are discussing two kinds of works? And is it not clear as we study the whole of the New Testament that indeed there is a difference in the works discussed at times in Scripture? All meritorious works are always excluded from God's plan for saving man. There is not a single work that I can devise and thus carry out or perform that can cause me to be able to say to God, I have earned or merited my salvation. On the other hand, the works that are included and discussed by James here in this passage we're looking at tonight are simply the commandments of the Lord, and obedience to them is absolutely essential. Only those who try to eliminate all work, all work, even the commandments of the Lord, such as baptism for the remission of sins, have any real trouble in harmonizing the teaching of James with the teaching of Paul. There's no difficulty at all in harmonizing unless you're trying to eliminate one or more of the commandments of the Lord, like baptism, as so many faith-only advocates uh, do. In fact, all faith-only advocates, as far as faith alone, they do that very thing. But... Because the passage plainly teaches that faith apart from works is dead, here in this passage we're looking at tonight, then those who teach faith only definitely have a problem with what James has to say here, with what he writes. And so let's look at these verses tonight and, and remind ourselves, remind ourselves of the truth that is plainly taught here. And that truth is, Faith, apart from works, is dead. These are inspired writings, just as the writings of Paul were inspired writings in the Roman epistle. And nowhere is there a contradiction between the two writers. Verse 14 reads, What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? Now, we need to appreciate that faith is often made to stand for all of the conditions of salvation. It is sometimes used to include the entire Christian system, Christianity itself, for example, in Galatians 3, within the context of verses 23 through 29. That's what we have as we have a contrast. Before faith came, we were kept under guard, under the law. That is, before faith, Christianity came, we were under the law of Moses. That's what Paul is contrasting in that text. And there, faith is used as the system of faith. And we've often talked about the fact that faith is used in an inclusive sense or to stand for everything that is required uh, as a condition of salvation. But here's what James sets out to prove. James sets out to prove that the, that the faith that saves is the faith that expresses itself in obedience to the commandments of the Lord and that it produces a blessing only when it does. That's the only way faith can bless your life or mine is when that faith expresses itself in obedience to the commandments of God and then it blesses us. I have faith but not works, can't have it that way. That faith cannot save him. That faith cannot save him. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Can that kind of faith save him? The answer 
is no, and James will make that abundantly clear. That kind of faith is the kind of faith that is without works. What works? Again, the commandments of the Lord. We often go to Hebrews chapter 11, Inspiration's Hall of Fame, and we see there faith followed by a verb of action every time. Thus faith blesses only when it leads to obedience. And James is going to prove that as he goes on with the following verses. Here's the illustration in verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Well, that's not difficult to understand, is it? From that standpoint of the illustration, naked, that is not completely stark naked, but without clothing, uh, that is adequate, nearly, nearly naked. Needing clothing, uh, the person here who is described is in the greatest possible destitution, lacking daily food. How does one respond to that? How does one meet that need? By saying, in effect, go warm yourself, go clothe yourself, go feed yourself, go fill yourself, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Those are empty words. They're words that cannot meet the situation and the need that is there in that situation. There's no profit in that. That's James's point. What does it profit? Here's the application. Verse 17 from verses 15 and 16. Thus, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is no better than my telling someone who is in a destitute situation, be warned. Be filled. Go on your way. What good have I done that person? James's application is clear, isn't it? Thus also faith, if it's by itself, not coupled with what? Works, obedience, is absolutely dead. And again, the works to which James refers here are obviously the commandments of the Lord, the works that demonstrate Faith. Now notice what he says here in verse 17. Faith by itself, according to itself, of itself. In other words, by the utter absence of works, it is what? It is dead. Dead. Dead as a doornail, as we might say, using that old expression. In other words, it has no outward sign of life. It has no inward life. It is dead in itself. A rose bush in winter has no sign of life, does it? But it is not dead in itself. It'll bloom again. But faith without works has no winter and it has no flowering spring. It is absolutely dead. The obvious lesson from this section is that one in need cannot profit from kind words. They are not going to help him. Neither is there any blessing in faith which does not prompt one to obey the commandments of the Lord. And notice that works being considered are, are not works of human merit. That's not what James is talking about as he advocates these works. Not works of human merit, not works of the law of Moses. Those, law, those works of that law have been done away. 
He's simply talking about the commandments of the Lord. It is equivalent to what Peter said at the household of Cornelius when he said, Truly I perceive that God shows no partiality, or as the King James says, is no respecter of persons. But what? In every nation he who fears him and what? Works righteousness is accepted by him. Couldn't be any clearer. He who what? Works righteousness. Same kind of works James is talking about here. Righteousness is the keeping of God's commandments. Remember what the psalmist wrote long ago, Let my tongue sing of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. Psalm 119, 172. Now he goes on, James does, beginning in verse 18 through 20, to show that works prove one's faith. But someone will say, here he imagines an objector. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. In other words, someone might say, well, you have faith and I have works and they're both good. You know, can't have it that way. Show me your faith, he says, without your works. You can't say I have faith and you can have works and I can still have faith because that faith without that work is not faith. It's not faith. Show me your faith without your works, James writes, and I will show you my faith, how? By my works. And James answers with a challenge of his own there, doesn't he? You show me your faith. If you can do it, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you mine by my works. Faith literally cannot be seen. Literally, faith cannot be seen. It is evidenced only through works. This is impossible to overemphasize. We should learn for our own good and to teach others what James is saying here. And we need to make sure this is ingrained within us so that not only we believe it, but that we are able to teach others because denominationalism teaches faith only and we need to be able to teach them the truth on this matter. And it's important also to remember something here, and that is that these words that we're looking at tonight from this section of James are not for the alien sinner alone. They're not for the alien sinner alone. Faith without works cannot bless any member of the Lord's church. We always have to maintain our faith through what? Our works. We always have to show our faith by our works, whether that is for the alien sinner in showing his faith by belief that leads him to repent, confess, and be baptized, but it's also true of every member of the Lord's body. What did Paul write in Philippians 2.12? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Those ultimately blessed will be those who have kept his commandments, as the Revelation letter points out in Revelation 22:13 and 14. Now verse 19, he says, you believe that there's one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. In other words, to believe that there is one God is not sufficient. And belief here would be intellectual assent, mental agreement to the truthfulness of a proposition. In other words, you, you agree with the proposition that God is and that God is one. But that agreement mentally doesn't include love and obedience and trust and submission because it's what? It's an action of the mind alone. 
To say I believe that there's one God is an action of the mind alone unless you do something to demonstrate that belief. And of course the scriptures teach that God is one. And when he says God, God of course denotes deity. It's the, it's the name of the divine nature. There is but one divine nature in other words. One God, one divine nature, but three personalities possess the divine nature. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Godhead, the divine nature, they are all God, therefore, all one. United, three personalities with the divine that comprise the divine nature, one God. And it's necessary to believe that God is one in order to be saved. But there's more than that, James points out, that is needed. Why? Because he illustrates that even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons understand that. Even the demons acknowledge that. And we have occasion in Scripture where they acknowledged it. Matthew chapter 8. When you go there and you see when he came to the coast of the uh, Gergesenes, there were those came out fierce there, those uh, demon-possessed individuals, and the demons said, what have we to do with you, Jesus? You, Son of God, are you come here to torment us before the time? They recognized that he was Jesus, the Son of God, called him the Son of God, and understood that he had the power to destroy them, and asked, are you here to destroy us before the time? Question. Does that kind of faith that they exhibited on that occasion save one? Did it save them? Why, certainly not. Obviously not. Demons believe in the doctrine of the one true God and they tremble at the thought of their certain destruction. But that trembling, that belief does not save them. Their faith doesn't express itself in obedience, therefore it is dead just as is the faith of anyone who does not express his or her faith through obedience. And this is the very same faith that the objector James has just mentioned claims is sufficient. Well, you have faith, and I have works there. Or I have faith, and, and uh, you have works. You have faith, and I have works. Why can't we both be fine? No, you can't separate faith from works. Therefore, the conclusion of verse 20 is obvious. Here it is. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Foolish. Literally, empty-headed fellow. Empty-headed. That's pretty straight talk, isn't it? Empty-headed. In other words, that's how obvious James believes his conclusion to be and calls upon his objector to acknowledge the truthfulness of that. In other words, one who attempts to reason that faith apart from works will save an individual lacks the qualities which are necessary to reason properly. He's not exhibiting those qualities. He may, he may have them, but he has, he has ceased to exhibit them. Something has gotten in the way of his ability to exhibit that kind of basic reasoning that would lead one to the conclusion that James tells us is so obvious, as plain as the nose on your face. That's in effect what James is saying. Foolish man, do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
Faith apart from works is, quote, faith only. And such a faith is barren. It is absolutely destitute. Now, in the last verses we'll look at tonight, verses 21 through 26, we're going to see James illustrate for us what true faith is. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Verse 21 here then, he introduces Abraham. And the principle that is involved in Abraham's justification illustrates the manner in which all of us today, anyone living today, has to be justified. And what does it mean, by the way, to be justified? To be justified means to be counted or reckoned or pronounced or declared to be in a right relationship with God. If you're justified, you are in a right relationship with God. And how does that justification come? How is that justification accomplished? It comes from the works. Works. No works, no justification. It's as simple as that. Without the works, there is no justification. Now, James calls our attention to the fact that there was a specific time and place when Abraham was justified. When was it? When was it? Well, what does he say? When he offered Isaac his son on the altar, the latter part of verse 21. That's when he was justified. And verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect or complete. Faith was finished as it were. Neither faith alone nor works alone can justify, but they must what? They must work together. And then he calls attention to a scripture. Verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted or reckoned to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15. And verse 6, when is that scripture, Genesis 15, 6, said to have been fulfilled? When Abraham's faith was made perfect or complete. When was that? Not until Genesis 22. In the act of obedience as he raised the knife to slay his son and was willing to do what God had told him to do, it was then and only then that his faith was fully justified because he was following through on that faith and it was then that he truly was called the friend of God. Faith working together with his works. Now when we come to verse 24, James obviously, writing by inspiration, believes that he said more than enough to make his case to the honest, objective seeker. Because he writes, you see then? You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only? We should see it at that point, and oh, I wish we did. 
in the world in which we live. But the vast majority of those alive today, those who are claiming to be followers of Christ, they do not see it. They do not see it. And they contend strongly against the very thing, the very thing that James makes so abundantly clear. In Romans 3.28, I'll tell you how, how determined Martin Luther was not to see it, that in Romans 3.28, which reads, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. He added it and read it this way. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith alone, apart from the deeds of the law. He added the word only or alone there. Well, my question would be, if it's made clear in the passage that it's faith only that saves, why do you have to add the word in order to make it any clearer? If it's so clear, you don't have to add anything to it, do you? But if it's not clear, then you might see the need to add something to it in order to make your position stronger. That's what Martin Luther did. And it's interesting that here in verse 24 of James 2, we have the words, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. In Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. What's the contradiction in those two passages? Absolutely none. Because the faith about which Paul wrote in contrasting that faith to the law of Moses was the very same faith that James is writing about here in James 2.24. Paul was saying we're justified by the same kind of faith that James says we're justified by and not by what? The law of Moses. Paul was contrasting faith, New Testament faith, biblical faith, obedient faith with what? The works of the law of Moses. You can't be saved by those works Paul was writing. You must be saved by what? No work at all? No, the works of faith. That's all he was saying. And that's all James is saying. The two inspired men are saying exactly the same thing and contending for exactly the same kind of works. Works of obedience. Obedience to the commandments of the Lord. James says you see it. Well, some do, many don't. But to reinforce his case, he mentions someone else in verse 25. When he writes, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? In other words, how was it, how was it that, that Rahab, how was it that Rahab demonstrated her Faith, by hiding the spies, by following through on what she had said she would do. She did it. She did it and they promised her because she had done that and shown that much faith by her actions. They also gave her instructions by which she and her family would be saved. When the army of Israel came in and destroyed Jericho, she knew what she had to do so that they would know that this was her house. Her people had to be in that house. 
That house had to be marked accordingly so that they would know to leave it alone. And had she failed to do any of that, then no doubt she would have been destroyed along with all the other residents of Jericho. You can read about that in Joshua 2. She evidenced her faith by her actions, and she's mentioned in Hebrews 11.31 as one who did just that. Another illustration James gives us to reinforce the one about Abraham. And then finally in verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Another illustration. You see, the body is the animal frame of man which houses the spirit. The spirit that will live for eternity. And faith without works, James says, is as lifeless as the body without the spirit. Because when the spirit departs from the body, obviously the body is dead. Faith without works is as lifeless as that body without the spirit. Two things compared, both dead. One is physically dead, the other is spiritually dead. Your body is physically dead without the spirit. You are spiritually dead without works as you contend for faith alone. And again, we ask in conclusion, what works must be joined to faith to make it alive? Simply the commandments of the Lord. In every nation, he who fears him and works righteousness. And all thy commandments are righteousness. Therefore, the commandments of the Lord are to be kept. And only those who keep them are acceptable to him. John reminds us in 1 John 3 verse 10 that whoever does not righteousness or does not do righteousness is not of God, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Whosoever what? Doeth not righteousness is not of God. Therefore, we must obey the gospel and we must live faithfully according to that gospel even unto death. It could not be any clearer than James makes it in precept here and by illustrating it with examples from Scripture. And all of that is reinforced not only in the writings of the other New Testament writers, but by the examples that are given in the writings of Luke in the book of Acts, with example after example of how faith alone never saved anyone, but only obedient faith. You see then how that a man is justified by works, and not by faith alone. And you see that those works by which man is saved are works not of his own merit, not of his own righteousness, not of his own meritorious plan, nor of the law of Moses which has been nailed to the cross, but the works that God has ordained that we should walk in them. And a very familiar passage makes that abundantly clear and reinforces what James has written in this section we've studied tonight where Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Oh yes, we're not saying in our study tonight that even works of righteousness can save you without the grace of God. No one can be saved without the grace of God. 
But the only way we can appropriate or accept the grace of God is through works. Works demonstrating our what? Faith. For by grace you've been saved through what? Faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast, but is Paul eliminating all works any more than James would? No. Is this something that contradicts James as well? No. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, gives us some insight into the kind of work Paul has in mind. Boastful works, works about which I could brag and say, yes, God must save me because I've earned it. No, grace, grace is involved through faith, not of works, that is seeking to work out our own salvation. Very same thing that he wrote in the Roman letter Paul did. Not of works lest anyone should boast. But it's obvious he hasn't eliminated all works because in the next stroke of the pen of inspiration he writes, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That settles it too, doesn't it? It settles the fact that when he says not of works, lest anyone should boast, he's not eliminating all works because he turns around and immediately says, we were created to work. That ought to give people insight into the fact that different kinds of works are discussed in Scripture. Some are condemned, some are commended, and without those which are commended, you cannot be saved, nor can I. And tonight, if you're not a Christian, it will be works of obedient faith that will begin your salvation. Your belief in Jesus Christ must lead you to repent, to confess Him, and then to be baptized for the remission of sins. And when you've done those things and been raised to walk in newness of life and added to the Lord's church, you cannot stand, as it were, on the other side of the baptistry and say, look what I have just done. God had to save me. Look what I've done. I've earned it. How could you possibly earn salvation by being submissive to a burial in water? What a contention that would be. And yet that's what the denominational world basically says we're trying to say that by insisting that one be baptized, we're claiming that that's a work that can save us by a work that is done. And we're claiming salvation by works. That's salvation by faith is what that is. Through obedience to the commandment of the Lord to be buried with the Lord so that his blood is applied to cleanse us from our sins. Grace through obedient faith. And as we rise to walk in newness of life, we rise to work in newness of life. Because the walk is a work, a continuing work of obedient faith, as we must exhibit that faith by our works. Remember, James writes, not only for the benefit of the alien sinner in this section, but also for the benefit of the Christian, who must never lose sight of the importance of keeping on walking and keeping on working. If you haven't done that as a wayward child of God and need to come home, we plead with you to do that in repentance, confession of sin that needs to be confessed publicly, that you might resume that walk and resume that work that once was so important in your life. Will you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?